20th century, young men from fine families all over this mighty island are crossing the seas for adventure in Canada. CGSR 88.5, I'm Lucas Anders, your correspondent for Moving Radio. Wendy Tilby and Amanda Forbes are longtime collaborators, animators, designers, receiving numerous awards, which includes Academy Award nominations for each of their respective works. They're soon to be awarded the Lieutenant Governor of Alberta Distinguished Artist Award. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Lucas. Lovely to be here. Thank you. So glad you could join us. We're so honored that you could be on Moving Radio with us. Amanda, how does it feel to be recognized by a group of peers with the Distinguished Artist Award? Well, it's a pretty big thrill. I mean, you never imagine yourself as distinguished. So when somebody else calls you distinguished, you get a little flutter out of you. <laughs> we're too young to be distinguished. So we like to thank them. But now we realize we we're actually not too young. But it's wonderful. We were just talking about in the life of our last film, The Flying Sailor, we toured around with it quite a bit. And the thing that we're left with a year later is the connections you make closer to home are the most meaningful, the most profound. I think we feel that way about this one, that it's it's a pretty special honor. It's a pretty incredible thing to be recognized by your peers at home. Can you tell us a little bit about connections that kept coming up, connections specifically. Could you tell us a little bit about that in terms of your pieces of art and and how that kind of pervades through your work? Yeah, our films always seem to end up being about connection or lack of connection. They also seem to be quite preoccupied with death, which I guess they are. It's a very interesting subject, how we react to death of others, our own deaths, and also somehow makes clearer your connection to other people. Well, I would say that all of our films are about connection, but oddly, they are all about solitude as well. That The characters are very singular, they're solitary, and they are seeking connection one way or the other, where there is a lack of connection. But I think that that in some ways reflects uh, maybe an ambivalence on my part about being quite introverted and needing solitude, but also craving human connection, which is something that we all need. Our films do have a preoccupation with death, but mostly because it's a reflection of life or it's a way of talking about life. I think that that is a theme that goes through them. And I think they're all humane in a lot of ways, uh, even if there are animal characters, they talk about what it's like to be human, I suppose. But we don't really set out to make films about these things. It's just what comes out and they all seem to have things in common that we only realize once people like you ask us about it. I think too that what I think of often is E.M. Forrester's line about only connect, which when I first heard that in my 20s, I thought, what? What? You know, only connect. What does that even mean? And then the older I get, the more it means to me. And I think that fundamentally on some level, our, our films are about that. And I think that mostly that's what art's about is, you know, striving to make some connection with another human being. And so we make those connections explicit in our films, but it's also about connecting with audiences on levels that we may not talk about in, in conversation. Yeah, there's definitely this idea where you talked about it being in solitude, but like that lemon that falls down, I think was something that stuck out in my mind that goes down into the sewer. And then we see the pipe connect to individual impacted without really 
kind of knowing that that connection existed, it's, it's kind of neat to sort of see those things form through your phones. That scene you're describing from When the Day Breaks, that was an idea that was meant to think about our cities as almost like organisms that have all these pipes and wires that are like our bones and veins and plumbing that we all have in our bodies, but that they're the people that are connected by these vessels that's really important and that we live in our little apartments. And I think the closer we are together in cities, the more we crave or we need um, sort of a buffer between us. And sometimes it takes sort of a witnessing a death or something to realize, oh, no, we are really connected. We're connected through all these things that run under the street and, and the wires and all that sort of thing. And it's kind of a push-pull thing. Also, what Amanda was saying about making art and connecting, what I was referring to before about needing solitude and connection has to do with the fact that animation is a very solitary art form. The kind we do yeah, anyway. The kind we do. And yeah. we, although we're a partnership, I mean, it's we by necessity have to have a lot of time to cogitate and, and literally make the thing. And so we, we crave that. We crave that solitude, but get pulled out into the world in other ways. I guess it's just about those tensions. There's certainly a lot of tension that you create through your artwork. Amanda, would you agree with her assessment in terms of how sometimes there is a lot of work that goes into these pieces, right? Like it takes quite a bit of time to, to get where you're going. And I've noticed an evolution, having been able to kind of take a look at all of your pieces, that process has likely changed for you, but there's still a lot of solitude and a lot of things that you have to work through, I imagine. Absolutely. And yes, it's true. The way we work has changed a lot. I sometimes think that we chose a profession that was unparalleled in the way it's changed over the last 30 or 40 years. We started out working in film and, you know, completely different medium, really. You get the same end result or similar end result, but the medium is completely different. So we've had to do a lot of technical legwork over the last 25 years. And it continues. And we struggle to keep up at this point with the digital natives who just seem to pop out knowing how to work after effects from birth. Absolutely, there is a lot of solitude and, and we like that. Neither of us is particularly keen on telling other people what to do. And we like our partnership and we have a lot in common and we understand each other's kind of pet thoughts and important notions. So we really enjoy it working together in our own little cottage industry, maybe partly to our detriment because sometimes a really good collaboration absolutely cannot be beat. When we went to art school, we both went to Emily Carr in Vancouver and we each did some live action. And I know for me, maybe particularly, but live action shoots, I, I found quite weird how you do so much time around and, and then you're cold and you're eating chili and you get this whole crew of people and somehow it all drags on this weird lax process you know as opposed to animation where it's all in your hands and you can control the outcome and you get to do it all yourself and so we were both really attracted to that so that led us down the path that we're on the earliest thing i could find uh, wendy was your piece strings it talked about painting on glass. Mm -hmm. 
and how that sort of evolved. There's a lot of work that goes into creating animation. Could you just speak to that process? Like stop animation, you had to create every frame by frame for all of these pieces. It does sound like it was blended, your last piece versus when you started where it was like, we have to create a piece and create a piece and create a piece. So that, that time is, is quite a bit in terms of the solitude and creation and getting to that final piece. Yeah. My first film was strings. And as you mentioned, the technique is called paint on glass or sometimes paint on glass. It's what they call an under camera technique as is cutouts, which Amanda did a lot of back then as well. But what it means is that you're actually working with artwork directly under the camera. So it's almost like a performance. You're not doing stacks of drawings on paper or cell like the classic cartoon would be. What you're doing is you're putting paint on a sheet of glass with a camera mounted above it. And to animate, you are repainting the frame, destroying what was there before. And then you take two frames and then you repaint the next position. And so there's no going back because you're destroying everything as you go. And what I liked about that was I liked the painterliness of it, but I liked also the fact that it didn't involve tracing over and over again, which kind of deadens your line, your drawing. And it also helped perfectionism. If you have the opportunity to go back and fix something, you will or I will. And so this kept me moving forward. And part of the problem with the way we work now, which is in the computer, in media ways, I mean, we do painterly things, sometimes we import stuff we've scanned, et cetera. But the computer is a bottomless pit of ability to fix something and redo it. You really have to just stop yourself and move, move on. I mean, it's kind of great that you can do that. You can fix things. But it's also a problem with animation and you need to kind of keep going. But it's also quite wonderful. I mean, there are so many interesting ways to work with the computer. And we actually, I think I would feel quite lost without it. Without We yes. work on tablets where we draw directly on the screen. I love the undo buttons. I love, you know, I love being able to layer stuff infinitely, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's quite a fun way to work. When the day breaks, which was, again, a very, very labor intensive process, we we made little paintings. Every single frame was a little painting of about r- roughly four by three inches and painted with oil sticks. And though it sometimes a really complex frame would take you an hour. And if you think that you have to draw 12 of them for one second, you know, that, that gives you some notion of what, what we're up against. But the great thing was that on a number of occasions, we took a pile of work and we went to a cabin and we just painted and painted and listened to music and watched the TV. And 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 the pleasure of tactile, real media can't be argued with. There's a, a beauty to it. Like you say, this idea that, you yeah. know, could never be p- perfected. But now the computers could sometimes take us into this world of how long can we work on it before it loses some of its shine almost. Right. Well, our our film Wildlife was the hybrid piece because when we started that film, we had sort of crossed over into the computer, but the software was not where it is today and the, the paint programs were not great, but we really, really wanted to do it in the computer because it saved so much time with scanning and cutting digital images out from a scan. And anyway, it's very laborious, so, yeah. but we ultimately did 
paint that film in gouache on paper and do the scanning and cutting out because we just didn't get what we wanted in the computer. But we did put everything together in the computer. We used After Effects, we used editing programs, we fixed things in Photoshop, all that sort of thing. So it was really real media but put together in the computer. And then after that, we started doing lots of commercials and we got a lot better with digital paint and the applications got a lot better as well. So when it came time to do the Flying Sailor, it made sense to do that. It's pretty much all in the computer. Yeah, the thing about real media and real paint particularly is that it gives you the opportunity for happy accidents and the computer can really kill that or you get different kinds of happy accidents and we both i think still crave the kind of life that you find in painted films there's just a there's just a vivid life to it even if it's sometimes too much obnoxious because you get this effect called boiling with paint that can be too much and of course people are doing extraordinary films in the computer but i think almost everybody who works digitally is still looking for the happy accidents they're still looking for the randomness without that randomness i think it, i think something dies i still get a thrill when i see a painting that was done on real paper scanned into the computer when i see it on the screen compared to something that was painted in the computer it's it's still different yes yeah, it's it's, it's kind of thrilling yeah so maybe we'll go back to that yeah there's certainly some magic in yeah. it having witnessed it and seeing the landscapes and how they just move and paint and then the way that you create that Wendy Tilby and Amanda Forbes are animators, designers, and collaborators here with us on Movie Radio as we continue to discuss their art. Can you tell us a little bit about Flying Sailor? I know it's your most recent piece, but Wendy, having kind of looked at it and discovered it, it's an interesting piece of history that you've kind of stumbled upon and even a more interesting story within that piece of history. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, stumbled upon that little piece of history a number of years ago, probably 20 years ago. When we were in Halifax, we were at the Maritime Museum and we saw a whole display about the Halifax explosion. And there was one little blurb among many, actually, that described personal stories of the blast. And one of them was of a sailor who was on the pier when the ship blew up. Because two ships collided in the harbor, and one of them was carrying a, a whole lot of explosives. This sailor was launched from the, the pier and basically found himself two kilometers away. And he was relatively unharmed. I mean, I'm sure he was bashed up, but he was fine. He went on. He told the story. He moved away from Halifax after that. We were struck by the story, partly because it's quite amazing, but also... Most people were struck by the story. Yeah, but also we thought about it as, as filmmakers, as animation filmmakers. We thought, well, that's kind of an interesting animation idea to use that as the envelope for what basically amounts to a near-death experience. So we were interested in expanding time and setting up the story and then making the film basically his flight. And what was that like? So that's what we did. And so we took what was a few seconds in the air and we made an eight minute film out of it. And what was fun about it was that we could really kind of make it anything we wanted, because even though it's a true story, nobody knows what the sailor's real story was. So that was an interesting jumping off point for animation. And we also really loved the idea of 
this kind of making what was actually a very, obviously a traumatic thing for this guy, turning it into something quite balletic and beautiful. And that mixture of something that's beautiful and horrible at the same time was interesting. And, and we just had this image of this pink flailing sailor amongst all the smoke and debris and everything. That was kind of our, our central image. And we went from there. Amanda, could you tell me a little bit about in terms of, you know, flying sailor? It's one of those things that I noticed that is very much throughout. There is memorializing of some of your characters almost. We see images of their past. Is there something that interests you about that concept in terms of the films that you've made? Yeah, definitely. Flying Sailor was a little bit of an extension from When the Day Breaks, where we spend quite a bit of time in the memory of one character. And this was an expansion and possibly you could look at it as another take on that idea. I mean, we're always hesitant to talk about it because it feels like every artist says, oh, this piece is about memory, but it is. And what we were interested in was the idea of telling something of this guy's life through just the briefest flashes of not even life's greatest hits. You know, we don't see any significant moment in his life. You see a bug or you see the way this woman who we believe is his wife looks at him with some sense of disappointment or something like that or a ship sailing away. And so that you just gather these kind of impressions of who he might have been or who he is. And we, we love that idea because we we're trying to access something about the way memory works and how often you will be struck by a memory that would have absolutely no relevance to anybody. It would not make it into a history book. It wouldn't make it into your obituary, but it's important to you for whatever reason. There's a kind of a poetry and a beauty in that. So we were, we were very interested in trying to capture these little fleeting moments. Is there anything that inspires you in terms of poetry or other artists that helped you build some of these worlds in terms of the art that you create, Wendy? Hmm, interesting. Well, there's Betty Goodwin for, well, not poetry, but a painter that we looked at a lot is Betty Goodwin. She was a Montreal-based artist and she painted these floating figures that were sort of much kind of vaguer in a way than our sailor, but they had a real poignancy that we were attracted to and interested in. Very beautiful and yet yeah. very disturbing at the same time. Wouldn't you say there's always a yeah. hint of violence or something wrong in them, but they're very beautiful, just the, the forms of these bodies floating, and whether it's air or water or what. Yeah, I think we're always attracted to contrasts, and that would be that kind of terrible beauty thing that where the explosion itself is quite a terrible thing, but it's actually quite gorgeous with smoke, plumes of smoke and sparks and flames and all that sort of thing. So we were interested in, in that and making that his whole flight quite beautiful in that sense. One of our inspirations yeah. for that was the burning of Notre Dame, which those pictures are so beautiful and it's just awful. And there's so many incidents like that, like the Hindenburg or the Titanic, these incredibly captivating, really terrible images. We also looked a lot at near-death experiences and read lots of accounts and we were struck by how similar they all are, that they have much in common. People really do describe a sense of after the initial assault, whatever it is, whether it's an accident, people are a heart attack, something like that. But there is a sense of moving away from their physical self, from their bodies, feeling like they're at one with the universe. They really do think about dead loved ones. They think about the people they're leaving behind. It's almost corny. It's very corny. And then, and time slows. They might th even think about 
banal, trivial things, but there definitely is a bliss, which is, it's kind of nice to hear that, such that the return to life, which they all do because they're reporting it, is actually the less good option at that moment because the the white light, the death is actually very peaceful and lovely. And then the return to life is violent and harsh and painful, which is what we wanted to depict at the end of the film as he's plummeting back to earth. That's the that harsh return, but it's what you go through in exchange for life at the end. So those experiences became the template for our film and how we structured it. Yeah. So I was going to say that those are the kinds of direct inspirations that feed a film like that. The way we use the medium, because a short film is obviously you don't have a lot of time for character development or plot development. So we think of them as being actually very much like poetry. If you think of poetry as kind of setting up little bits of imagery and then leaving you with that and letting you form your own ideas about it, we, we try to do that to a certain extent with our films. We think of them as being very similar, that a feature film is like a novel and a, a short film can be more like a poem. And there's no fact, like everything is considered yeah. as a, in a poem, every word is considered. Yeah. We consider every image yeah. by necessity, but sometimes we try to set up opportunities for that randomness that Amanda was talking about, those happy accidents. They don't happen much in animation, but we try to cause them to happen. <laughs> but otherwise, I mean, we do literally work on every frame. And so everything is considered. There should be no fat in an animated film, although often there is. Yeah. Are there any projects ahead that you're they're working on or, or things that you wanted to let us know about that we can maybe see you diving into in the future? We take an incredibly long time to gestate these projects. So we, if we tell somebody about it now, they'll surely forget about it by the time it, it actually appears. But we're just sort of considering our options right now, different approaches and wondering if we want to make another short film again or whether we want to venture into something else. And, you know, in a world that's flooded with media, you want to be very careful about what you say, that it's worth your time and worth your energy. And so we're kind of looking at all those bigger picture things right now. You said that's true. Yeah. Well, I guess the short answer is too soon to tell you. Right. <laughs> there are some, there are lots of things floating around and we haven't committed to any one of them yet. Well, thank you for joining us. Wendy Tilby and Amanda Forbes, animators, designers, and incredible artists receiving the Lieutenant Governor of Alberta Distinguished Artist Award. You can catch their work through the National Film Board of Canada, including their most recent work, Academy Award-nominated Flying Sailor. You're listening to CGSR on 88.5 Moving Radio. I'm your correspondent, Lucas Anders. Oh.